Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the proud of labor this crown of thorns. Well, we are back again, a second time this week with John part two, John Sanders coming back to uh, sort of describe how his story has impacted his uh, political views. So don't want to waste any more of your time. We'll get straight into it. If I'm supporting all of these things that God teaches us about in scripture, justice, mercy, no, no murder, no killing, right? If, I, if, I, if I'm going to be true to my faith, I must support all of these things on both these platforms so I can't take a side. Are you following me? I think I'm tracking. Yeah, oh. I mean... Like uh, voting for George Bush in 2000 for something you believed in uh, on, a, on a moral level, but the not that the consequences were your responsibility, but like I'm sure a lot of the consequences of the Bush administration would be stuff that would have made you really hesitate to vote for him if you had known all that in 2000. Well, and I think what he's saying, too, is that like we should be supporting the things that the Bible preaches and what God wants, not a candidate that not the platform, because what has happened, remember? I said that that we we have we have become creatures of the platform. Creatures of the platform, which means that if it as a Republican, if if it if it's not if it's not zero laser focused on abortion, anti-gay rights, uh, anti-immigration rights, if it's not if it's not laser focused on small government, and if it's not laser focused on capitalism then I'm, I'm out. I'm not going to deal with it at all. I'm just going to forget all of that other stuff over there. That's not what Christ says we're supposed to be about. Because justice and mercy, I went and did another search on Bible Gateway, and I, I researched justice and mercy as opposed to homosexuality or sodomy and uh, murder or killing. And what I found was I found maybe uh, t- tens of references to murder and sodomy or homosexuality. I found hundreds of references to justice and mercy. Now, what that tells me is that God's heart is much more about those things than these very narrow laser focused issues. And on the other side, the the Democrats are only focused on social justice issues. Forget the babies. I don't care how many of them die. Something's wrong with this guys. So we have become creatures we have allowed ourselves to be duped into becoming creatures of the platform rather than Americans who are casting our vote to uphold the genius document that those old men back in the 1700s created. Because let me tell you something, those guys that created the Constitution of the United States, the Declaration, look, yes, they were slave owners. I'm a black man. I've dealt with that. But these guys were near geniuses, okay? And so what I'm supposed to be doing as an American is supporting the Constitution, not a platform. And so that the man 
who is more in line with trying to make sure that America continues to exist because it, it actually lives out the constitution it says it's supposed to believe in, that's the guy I should be voting for. And that's how I voted for years. So you don't find that your allegiance to the scriptures uh, and to the word of God comes into conflict much with your uh, general national allegiance to the constitution? Actually, it does, Cyrus. I'm glad you asked that. So I'm still giving you part of my journey. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, you've got me on the edge. From, from 2000, <laughs> from 2000 to, uh, you know, in 2004, I didn't vote because I didn't believe in the guy that was running on the other side. And George Bush had lied to, to everybody. So I, I, I bowed out. Who and by the me? way, as an American, I have a right to do that. Okay? Of course. That's so, a vote, too, for our yes. listeners. Right. And so then 2008 rolls around, 2007, look guys, you know, I don't believe in abortion. I think that homosexuality is a sin. But I look at, if you, if you can imagine that the whole of a man is determined by 10 character traits and you've got two candidates running and one candidate miserably fails in two of those character traits, but he shines in eight. And then the other candidate miserably fails in eight of those character traits, but he shines in only two. Duh, this is not rocket science, man. I know who I'm voting for. I'm voting for the guy that has a preponderance of character. That's what I'm voting for. Because typically what you will find is that the man who has character will also be the man who is supporting is who's working towards supporting, actually supporting what the Constitution says is supposed to be happening. And so I voted for Barack Obama. Now, look, I know his views on, you know, abortion and homosexuality. And I, yeah, I, I'd I, really like to hear you elaborate on those just because, you know, as I'm in this political confusion, you hear a lot of people, white and black, but just, you know what, just say, ah. How can, they, they ask the proverbial question, how can you be a Christian and vote for Barack Obama? My, and I, I, I'm excited question. to hear your answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's simple. I just gave you the answer. I'm looking at character, man. Yeah. Okay. I'm not looking at a platform. I don't care what you think about, about Barack Obama, but he did some interviews during the campaign. One interview he did at a church out in California. And the guy asked him some questions about foreign policy. Barack Obama said, and he's just a candidate at this point. He said the United States has been arrogant in the way they've approached the world. And they've tried to um, dominate and force their values on other countries. And that's not right. You don't hear politicians making statements like that, man. Not if they want to win. That's a character statement. This man is letting you know who he is. Not what party, what, what platform he holds to. He's telling you his heart. I said, that's an honorable man right there. I can vote for him. And I did. It's a good description. Then, under his watch in 2015, the Supreme Court legalizes uh, gay marriage. Look, look, in, in all of this time, in all of human history, no other society has legalized this. Many other societies have allowed it, but no society has legalized it. And the Supreme Court justices bounced that around during their debate over this issue. And yet they did it. I could not vote for him in 2012. Okay. I bowed out. Then 
comes 2016 and Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. So I'm looking at the field. I'm looking at all the guys who are running and in comes this politically unknown character named Donald Trump. I knew a little bit about Donald Trump at this point. I knew, I knew a little bit about his history, his business dealings. I listened to what the man said and he told me what his character was. I told people that I was talking to at the time, this man is dangerous. I like some of his ideas about ec economics. I think he was right that you can't just fling open the borders, but the way his solution to the problem was so, so vulgar and immoral or amoral, I couldn't vote for Donald Trump. I thought you voted from the first time. So I, yeah, that's, that's, that's no. good stuff. Yeah. No, but I, but, but, and then I'm okay. So on the other side, you got all these people, Hillary Clinton, everybody hates her guts, but listen, man, out of all those people who were running in the democratic crowd, in fact, out of all the people who were running period, Hillary Clinton was more qualified to be president than any of them. She knew how the thing is supposed to work. She knew that her job was to uphold the constitution, not to protect the platform. So I voted for Hillary Clinton. Then 2020 happens. Now, tw early 2020, late night 2019, Donald Trump is impeached. I began to watch and research history and politics like I did when I was back in college researching. You were angry or you were, you were, you were animated. I mean, we had a lot of men's yes. group, leader group was, discussions where you were, you were more animated than normal. And I was angry, but not angry with Donald Trump. I didn't expect anything different from Donald Trump. He showed us who he was. Donald Trump has not been hiding who he is. I was angry with the church because Christians were flocking behind this man who was obviously had no character and who was treating people down there on the border, separating those kids from their families, women being sterilized. Come on, man. Mr. Christian, who's supposed to be a follower of Christ. So this brings me back to something you said earlier that really, you know, kind of piqued my interest and I wanted to get back to. Um, but like, I mean, I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, even though I would have considered myself on the left at the time for my own reasons and, and whatever else. But just in general, you, you mentioned earlier how when you were looking around as a new Christian, you didn't see American Christians acting the way that the Bible was telling them to act. Yeah. Do you, what, do you think that's a problem that's uniquely American and is getting worse, which was exhibited by their willingness to fall in line behind Donald Trump? Or is that something that's just that that is uh, threatens Christianity no matter where you are, but maybe it's just more noticeable to us because we live here? It is it is more of a problem with American Christianity. And that's because this brand of democracy uh, has more of a foundation on the Judeo-Christian philosophy than any other anywhere in the world. And so it uniquely uh, describes and, and, and qualifies the United States Christian, but it's Western Christianity in general, okay, that, that we have compromised. Now, I've, look guys, I've, I've been doing some thinking before I came on here tonight. Uh, and, and I've been listening to you guys sort of bounce this thing around and talking about socialism as opposed to communism, as opposed to capitalism, 
and democracy was thrown in there and all of that. Listen, for better or worse, American democracy is the best experiment in human government that has ever been created, ever. Well, aside from ancient Israel, we don't talk about that because that was, you know, that was, they had Theocracy. a king, right? And it, it was not a democracy, right? Uh, it, it was, it was uh, a theocratic monarchy, if you can think of that that way. But this thing in America is unique. It's not in, in the seven, in the 1700s, uh, Alexis de, de Tocqueville came over here from France, the French philosopher. And, and he made some, some, you know, all of these smart guys like John Locke and those guys, you know, he made some comments about the United States. He said that the United States uh, uh, will cease to be what it is or what it was at that time uh, as it, it, when, 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 the, when the citizens begin to demand of its coffers for themselves, it will be, begin to decline. That was one statement he made. Another statement that he made was that America is great because America is good. Man, I heard uh, in that third segment you guys did uh, the, the idea that uh, Christianity has been a positive impact on the world more so than anything else, any other force in the world in human history. Now, yes, there have been some horrors but by and large, it has positively affected the world. So has the United States, given all of our flaws. So de Tocqueville was right. He said, America will continue to be great as long as America continues to be good, okay? And that's a relative good, of course, right? But so to answer your question, Cyrus, it, it's uniquely, specifically the American variety, but not just American Christianity that has fallen. It is Western Christianity in general, okay? And I believe that I'm convinced now, okay? Finish up my, my journey. 2019 happens, I watch the impeachment. Hey, I don't, I don't know your views on this. Donald Trump should have been impeached. He should have been removed from office. And I'm not saying that because I don't like Donald Trump. I'm saying that because as an American, this man violated the Constitution and he violated the oath he took to the Constitution. And for that reason, he should have been removed. Now, they're playing politics because they're platform, right? They're, they're sure. servants of the platform and they wouldn't go there. So they left him in office. Their bread's not buttered by the Constitution. Their bread's buttered by whoever writes their checks. So Absolutely, man. That's unfortunate, but that's true. And so we come forward to the early part, actually late part of 2019, after the impeachment was over, we got our first wind of COVID-19. And then early 2020, you know, COVID-19 starts to spread. By March, this thing is serious. And somebody is beginning to, to notice that it's serious. But this guy is saying that it's just like a cold. It's like, just like the flu. This is a dereliction of duty, man. This is a, this is, this is tragic. This is immoral. Yeah. This is immoral. Yeah. It. Telling people when hundreds of thousands of people have died to not let a disease dominate your life. is uh, pretty and, and watch this now. Horrible guys, thing to do. Guys, I, I'm not a historian, but I've, I've, I've read a little history. We could have nipped this in the bud by just taking 
a chapter out of the playbook from 1918. They had examples to follow, St. Louis being the primary one, and compared to Philadelphia, St. Louis locked everything down immediately, and only a few thousand people died. And then Philadelphia wouldn't do it, primarily because of the politics. At the time, we were embroiled in the latter part of the world of World War I. And to keep up appearances, the president wouldn't let it happen. And so they wouldn't lock it down. And thousands of people died. All we had to so, do- John, Go ahead. I was just, just going to say uh, that, that just one thing that made me think of in general is when you say politics a lot, I mean, the way I hear it as someone who considers himself a materialist is economics. Like the reason why we didn't extend the lockdown to the length that it should have been was because the economy would have suffered and pe people who run large corporations would have had to make sacrifices. Same thing sort of when I think about just like the state of Christianity in, in America and the West, I don't think it's any coincidence that those places are also the most luxurious, indulgent, consumeristic and materialistic and yeah. it was just part of the 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 reason why our power is so powerful is because capitalism feeds off those things and and you it's incentivized to do those things so i just wanted to hear a little bit of your perspective on that because i see as those things consumerism materialism as being the things that lead american christians away from the real source of their faith but i was wondering if you, you felt the same way okay yes you're right that's the short answer Yes, uh, a more nuanced answer would be this. It's not just economics, it's also power, okay? Which are not necessarily the same thing. Let me, let me put it this way. So the corporations that, pr that produce the lobbyists who produce the millions and millions of dollars that support either Republican or Democratic candidates and, 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 and politicians, that is big. That's a real deal. That's a real thing. Money, money, money speaks, money talks. Yeah. But I was, I was having this conversation with my pastor last week and I told him, look, man. Ooh, just as a quick insertion there on John. Yeah. Um, his pastor doesn't agree with him politically. And there's a lot of political diversity in our church, like John said. So, True. so. All the more. I find Continue myself guys. in the minority a lot, guys. Okay, <laughs> put it that way. But I was talking to him about this, and I said, "Man, look, this is human nature. People that have power are reluctant to give it up, and so it's not just the money, but it's also the control. It's the the power. It's they don't want to give that up, and so the to have locked it down would have would have done some things that uh, a few folks would have lost some money. It would have happened. That's no, there's no doubt about that. But is that really the question? Is that the question that we should be asking? Or is the question that we should be asking, how many lives can we save? Because that's what a president is supposed to do, man. He's supposed to protect the lives of the human beings in this country. Provide for okay? the domestic welfare. Absolutely. The, the whole thing. That, that's what he's supposed to be doing. But money overrid that, overrode that, and he's more concerned about the economy, quote unquote. I don't want to disagree with you guys because I, I just Cyrus, I think set up a bit of an unfair paint of that. Because Cyrus, I, I think I agree with a lot of what you said, but there's also millions of jobs to have been lost. 
um, or potentially no, more millions of jobs. You've got, you got to look at it. It would be if we were doing this in a vacuum. So you can't, you sort of can't blame how they did things in 1918 because they didn't have a frame of reference. But we don't have that excuse. We had the frame of reference. And so that question that you just raised, Chase, was addressed in 1918. It, it was proven. When, when, when St. Louis locked it down, they had the same questions and concerns that everybody's talking about now. And, but here's what actually happened. Those places that locked down within 12 months after the pandemic was over, their economy was, was stronger than it was prior to the pandemic. Those places that didn't lock down, they struggled for another two to three years. So Hard to this, run a healthy economy with sick people. The, the, this, is, this, is like, this is like kindergarten logic, man. You, you shouldn't have yeah, you're preaching to the choir. I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> you shouldn't have to talk about this, okay? I understand jobs are being being lost. I understand that businesses are going that businesses are going to fail. I get all of that. But if you can set it up so that you save lives and guarantee that the economy will bounce back stronger in a shorter period of time, duh, this is not rocket science. So John, we've gotten a ton of good stories from you. Uh, so your testimony is fascinating and enlightening to me. I think to hopefully to everyone personally. Yeah. Um, but before we leave, because we've, we've gone a while now and I could go all day, but I do want to hear as, as someone who's part of a church and part of a community, a faith community that uh, people who have lots of different ideas about how they should be acting politically, is, is there conflict there that leads to people acting out, outside of love? And if so, and if, or if not, like how, how do you maintain that level of love in a community that really requires it as a foundation? Yeah, John, and as you're setting that up, I mean, just to Cyrus, you've you've been visited a few times and so you've come with us like, man, we've got some like straight up, man, maybe a Maserati in the parking lot to people that are wandering from the homeless shelters. And uh, there's dudes from old South, you know, white to historically all black college. And John, as you said before, I'm not trying to just push up reunion. I'm trying to push up sort of us loving each other. How does that happen? You've been there a lot longer than I have. How do we do that? Or, or, or how should we be doing that? Well, let, let me say, let me start by saying this. Uh, you, the question that you're asking now is a very, very difficult question to answer because most people look for simple and direct answers. The answer to this question is neither simple nor direct. I believe that the, the church made a strategic error centuries ago by grasping and holding on to temporal power. And what we see in the United States is sort of like a perfection of that mm. because we have this freedom and freedom in many cases is worshiped and democracy Ooh. is worshiped. So as an idol, we worship and get value and identity from as well. Yes apart from God. Fasting, so, yeah. If a Christian does not intentionally disengage from that system, it's going to be very difficult for him to love other Christians. Mm. One of the things that we did at Reunion Church was we went back and looked at the, uh, the uh, Civil War. And in that fiasco, that craziness, many of the people on both sides 
were Christians. And so what you ended up with out of that 650,000 men who died, many of them were Christians on both sides. No one can tell me that Christ would be okay with that. Mm. So you've come full circle with my journey. <laughs> Just a few months ago, I decided that my original theological position was correct. Christians should not be involved in politics at all, Ooh. not even to the point of voting. You know what? We can do what Christ told us to do to love the world without the vote, without the political involvement. I can walk down the street here and there's a neighbor who lost their job because of COVID-19. And my wife and I can help feed them and their children. Interesting. I am doing what Christ called me to do. And I, just from what everything you've said so far, the next like piece I'm putting together is, and a vote is really just a wedge between loving. It, it has become that. And, and because it is a tool of the world, and we, are, we have been called as Christians to disengage ourselves from the world and not entangle ourselves with the world, it only leads every single time over history that Christians have entangled themselves in the world and gotten themselves involved in po political systems of the world, disaster has followed. And just a couple of weeks ago, we were this close to an all-out civil war, something close to it. And if that had happened, you will have again, you will, have, you will again have had Christians killing Christians. Or at the very least, at, the, well, at, the, at best, demonizing and vilifying other Christians. Right. So a direct answer to your question. I believe the only way to adequately love one another properly is to disengage from the political system. You Christians have to go back to scripture to remind themselves that we have been called to something different than the world has. I know what I'm talking about is not going to happen, Chase, Cyrus. It's not going to happen. Given human nature, it's not going to happen. But we are going to continue to slide from where we're supposed to be and from what we're supposed to be as long as we entangle ourselves in the political systems and use the tools that the world does. Dear God, John, I am uh, taken by what you're saying. Uh, and I've got in the back of my mind in a few weeks, we've got the, uh, 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 the leader of the My Faith Votes movement coming on and, and talking to us about the opposite or the same and, and the opposite reaction. So I, uh, I, maybe we have you back on to talk about the, well, you know, the consequences or, or, and the benefits of, of pulling out um, politically and engaging. But John, um, I know how you uh, have loved me and how you choose to love people who just within our, you know, meetings do not agree with you. I know that it's, I mean, you really believe it and it's, um, it's authentic. And so I, I just thank you, man. I, I, you know, I love you and I very much appreciate you giving us uh, your evening. Quite welcome guys. Yeah, John, thank you for uh, sharing such personal stories and, uh, and, and giving it to us straight. I think that's what, how we like it here across the gold. So yeah, we, uh, 
can't wait to, to parlay this conversation into some uh, other future really good ones. So thank you so much. I will be uh, looking forward to uh, the next uh, sessions that you guys do. Yeah, interesting <laughs> stuff, good stuff. Well, that makes at least one person. Woo, what a doozy. If you made it this far, uh, God bless you. Uh, Cyrus yeah, and I first, have- uh, First cross of gold interview in the bag officially. Yeah, count it, two points. Yeah, we, uh, you know, I think- we anticipated with our interviews that they would, uh, you know, we'd only steal someone away from their life for an hour or so, but the trend is not looking that way. We may have to start asking people to give a little bit more of their time to get through these, some of these uh, sticky concepts. That's right. I don't know if you guys expected John to come out as our first profile no voter, but there he is. Cyrus, what'd you think about that? Let's, let's, let's start chopping this up. Yeah, man, it was it was really enjoyable to me. Uh, very fascinating. You know, I think just as a culture, we, we could definitely stand to listen to our elders a, a fair bit more, even Ooh. if we don't agree with what they say. Um, yeah. There is, you know, there's just wisdom and life experience. And that's what John brought to the table was a lot of life experience. You know, I mean, obviously, like they're, you know, kind of as I mentioned in the intro to the first part of the interview, I there are some views that John has that I've find repugnant to my own personal view perspective on the world. Um, But, you know, especially, you know, in terms of homosexuality being a sin or being, you know, just completely and utterly against women having the right to, um, you know, choose their reproductive health care. But I'm not saying he was maybe against, I don't don't know, gay rights necessarily. I think he was more saying that, you know, personally, he he identifies anything non-biblical as a sin. Right. I'm not right. sure. Maybe well, we'd go back and ask him if like he would consider like he wouldn't be up for gay marriage, you know, right. Civically or, you know, civil partnerships or anything. I just think he was saying that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I know what you mean, I think. And, and that's exactly my point in that. And that's why we wanted to allow him to express those things and kind of made a conscious choice to allow him to articulate it because it wasn't like he was advocating for those things as policies per se. He was talking about how a part of his own individual ideology has informed his life and his politics and made him into a non-voter. And I think, you know, as a socialist and, you know, from my limited conversations with other socialists, uh, there's definitely an attitude of if someone doesn't hold a view that's the same as yours um, or that you find repugnant or if someone does hold a view you find repugnant, then there's no possible way of linking arms with them to fight for something better for everyone. Yeah. Just to make sure I understand you, uh, socialism does strike me as like this very, like a, almost like a Slytherin in hell, uh, Harry Potter. Like if you're not a pureblood then get the hell out. It, yeah. I mean, I don't want to characterize it that way. Cause don't get me wrong. I mean, most, I mean, socialism has is very committed to diversity and multiculturalism and all those. Well, know, yeah, I'm not. It's not an words. ethnic play, but like, if you're not ideologically pure with us, then like, yeah, ex- yeah, I think there there definitely is a sense of that, and that's why the left is so splintered into all these really tiny groups, is because there are small disagreements over one or two sticking points that turn into full fractures. And from my perspective, like, as long as someone who believes something like homosexuality is a sin, isn't using that belief to actively try and oppress homosexual people, 
but would be willing to support something like Medicare for all. But if we exclude those people, just, you know, write them off completely on their face, then I think we were probably going to be really hard pressed to eventually find things that benefit everyone, stuff like Medicare for all. Mm. So, and you know, and not that John is exactly like- that type of person, but I think those types of people could be can be reached you know what cyrus i think that's a really brave point to make and i know you're not just talking about like folks that are willing to pivot or whatever on on gay rights but whether it's abortion or what like that's a question i've i've got it you know apply that same thing to abortion like would you be willing to link arms with people who have a strong belief in right to life and the sanctity of unborn life and if we go oh wow you know what what about universal child care we can we can agree on on some sort of form of that maybe, and then somehow move forward in on the places that th- that we agree. I just think there's a lot of dividing on issues that yeah there there are starting points that we can find common ground on, and I think you know between Christians and socialists, a lot of those starting points can be found in raising up the people who are the lowest and most vulnerable and most depressed among us. So I think you know although you know it. it like no one said that this is going to be easy to have these conversations and to link arms with people you disagree with, but it is, in my opinion, very necessary. So, well, okay. Before we all totally go kumbaya and hang up here, let's, 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 let's carve out some ways in which, let me tell you one way in which I want to challenge John and yeah. one way in which maybe you admire him um, sure. or, you know, you liked our conversation I'll, and I'll, and I'll match you on that one. I, I'm struggling with his no vote and saying, you need to live in the world, uh, but not of the world. And I think we need to bring on a historian that knows a little bit more about what the church was doing and what it was thinking at the onset of democracy, because it's really easy to take like Paul's advice in the, in the Thessalonians, hey, live peaceable and quiet lives. Uh, but the social contracts have changed. And I'm not saying we should change the way in which we love people, but do we have a, a civic responsibility with this democracy? You know, one thing John's told me offline and in, in one of our many conversations, and he wasn't saying this for a fact, but he was more musing out loud. Is just, you know, I, I, I wonder if democracy is one of the slickest things that the devil's contrived to, to divide us and to get us, particularly Christians, focused on uh, issues of the world and not issues of the heart and not loving your neighbor, not loving the poor, because we can focus on other things. Yeah, because during Jesus' time, there wasn't democracy. It was the Roman Empire. There was no political, being politically active meant being an enemy of the state. You know, (laughs) and and John had had said some other things. Again, I'm I'm sharing, I think he he would mind like saying like, hey, like they did horrendous pagan things, including burning children at, you know, the, the temples of some idols around the Roman time. And you didn't see Christians picketing and like trying to stop that. I'm not saying they, they completely didn't. I don't know. But yeah. that wasn't even a political reality for them. Right. And they were charged with loving people, um, sharing truth and not saying, oh, you can go ahead and do that and sacrifice children. But I just think John has said, like, had, has, is, is, I think, a bit of a purist. And I, and I love that about him. But he said, like, was it in the Bible or was it in the early church? And, you know, the first couple chapters of Acts. And if it's not, then, boy, we got to be darn sure the Holy Spirit's telling us to do things that it's not laid out for us in Scripture. So, yeah, I mean, talk, talk about a decisive guy. Yeah. He, uh, and that's he really, you know, finds a point and goes with it once he feels committed to it, dude. And that's where I admire him to freaking pieces. I mean, can you imagine being a black officer in the early 80s, 
not getting saluted by junior officers or enlisted and it basically being a base thing of like ostracized John because of his beliefs. Like, dude, that guy believes what he believes. Wow. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's like you said, it has pros and cons to that sort of attitude. Cause you know, like when he was sharing that story about his um, first experiences, you know, with, with political activism and, how there was, you know, some personal drama in the organization that he was a part of that led him to being out of politics for 30 years. I'm like, okay, I guess I I could see how that would happen, but it's like Martin Luther King cheated on his wife multiple times, but does that, is that a reason to, you know, fully retreat from political, uh, political life and political activism? Like, I think we would all agree that the world's better off because Martin Luther King's friends who were around him, you know, overlooked some of those things and uh and any any organization that's going to be worthwhile to be a part of is going to be flawed because all organizations are flawed but you know that's the church i mean correct me if i'm wrong is there not personal drama at your church now and then uh there certainly is i mean john you know is certainly not a one-issue voter our pastor is and we have other you know all black college graduates and folks from you know what older white men from the south so you can tell they don't all agree politically However, I think John's got a point, right? Because just to use Martin Luther King as an example, like, you know, he would have even been even more uh, of a, a figure to stand behind if he wasn't, you know, doing things, um, you know, that we wish he didn't do. And I guess what I'm saying, I think John sees that as like, hey, you know what, there's no man I can follow, but Jesus Christ, to use that college example, number one guy sleeping with the number two guys woman, I think it, it was. Yeah. And so he sees like, you know what? No one on earth will lead me aright. And it's like, I, ha- I can trust no one, but this vertical relationship I have with God and then, and then like channel that into horizontal love. And right. you know, man, especially with a lot of Christians looking at Trump as like an, a prophet that can deliver political sa- you know, as a political savior, I, I admire it kind of. That's why I, mean, I, I, do, like- I do too. I, I respect the viewpoint. I think it's like, so part of me wonders if it's the most sane one. Um, yeah, right. Because you know, he's like, you know what? Like, you can go. I'm taking my ball and going home, and I'm just going to double down on love, and you will know that I love you. Like, yeah. but I, and I, I agree. But at the same time, I also know that there's a lot of people that would really love if everyone just stopped paying attention. So it's you know it is a give and take, and maybe it's stop paying attention. Stop paying attention to politics, to yeah. the machinations you know, I mean, of the rich and powerful. I know it's. And- you know. I actually agree with a lot of that, right? Because I don't need political news notifications on my phone. Sure. Facebook, much less. But at the same time, like, you know, you have this like Jeffersonian or founding father, like, well, you know, liberty has to be guarded, you know, and it is guarded or, or the, the tree of liberty is watered by the, like the blood of patriots, something to the extent, right? Yeah, like it that. takes, it takes a doing of preservation and, and fighting for civic political liberty, whether it's, you know, the expansion of gay rights or, you know, economic justice, whatever it is. Yeah. The things we're proud of in this country were, were earned. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) You know, they were were by, by people being active. So it's, I I definitely see his his perspective. And I think if that's what your ideology is, I, I don't know. I wouldn't call it exactly airtight, but I think it definitely is defensible. So, you know, I I haven't finished the, the, some of the, like, Eric Metaxas's uh, biography on Bonhoeffer yet, but maybe he's a good comparison because I think Bonhoeffer was a conscientious objector, like a pacifist and right. then sort of transformed to go, 
no, I shouldn't have left Germany, number one. Number two, I need to go back and be part of the resistance. I need to try to kill the guy, right? And I'm not, you know, and I think that might be like a a, a monster switch, like, right? Like, I think I'm not going to put John words in John's mouth, but if I'm thinking I'm John and I agree with John, if I were to, I would need sort of a light switch flip to go like, okay, if the world was thrown into the threat of falling to Nazism, then I'm going hard, going ham and join in the army or join in the CIA, whatever it takes to do it. Yeah. I'm not just going to bring brownies to my neighbors then, (laughs) you know, I think that's, that's kind of the thing is like the, the scale of, of your responsibility to be active. One depends on your knowledge. I think like the more you're aware, the more you're responsible Two depends on the urgency and also the, the conditions that you're in, you know, well, like, you know, that, that's, 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 it's all fine to go run yourself over by a tank in Tiananmen square, but it's, you know, that doesn't really do anything. It's, it's a pointless sacrifice unless there's some other movement behind it, you know? Yeah. And, and I think what I want to clarify just to make sure is I don't think you're saying that John's uneducated. Like he even said, like he was doing his, his due diligence, looking at the party sure. platforms and realizing, man, it's almost, it, he, he has taken the rejection of both party candidates, I'll vote for a third party to another level and is using a vote to say, man, it's even worse. Like I'm not even voting. So, yeah, well, I think it's interesting because I looked at it. I I also, you know, I didn't vote in the last presidential election. So I empathize with his decision to not do that also. But I look at it differently and rather saying like, okay, even the lowest threshold of political activism voting isn't worth it. I'm saying the lowest threshold of political activism voting in this case is not good enough. Not going to cut it. We need to do other stuff. Well, Uh, so it's, it's a, uh, but I, I see his, I see his point. I think we just come at it from different angles. Yeah. And I think the thing that it's probably the best thing to end on is that John is doing the best thing that he thinks he can do a hard fought conclusion for him. Yeah. And it's hard for me to disagree with his conclusion, given I, his personal conclusion for him, given that I know his character and given that I know his story a little bit more, it's, it's, for me, I go, you know, maybe I won't convince you to try to canvas with me because you feel pretty convicted. And you know what? You do put a lot of energy into loving people, calling people, texting people, fuck, you know, going to the hospitals for people. You know what I mean? Right. So like he's not a passive person, clearly. No, no. And back to um, our manliness a series, yeah. certainly rejecting passivity, but it's probably the best example of rejecting passivity and taking ownership by abstaining. Yeah. Yeah. His action is, is abstaining and it's a, it's a, it's a deliberate one. And I don't think it's brought about by laziness. And I agree just generally kind of with that, that conceit of like, you don't know how someone's life has affected the way they think. And from his perspective and his logic, it made a lot of sense to me. So like you said, I think that's a good thing to end on. Um, you know, if people have questions or comments, maybe uh, be worth revisiting. And of course, always a chance we get John back on at some point. But uh, I wanted to hear just a little bit about what's going on with you, man. I know Samantha's about ready to pop at this point. Uh, yes. But anything else going on in your life? Well, uh, we are doing a lot less active things. 
and taking some of the obligatory pregnancy photos. Looking forward to. I'm stoked to see uh, our new son, Lord willing. Mother-in-law is in town, so that's fun. We did a throwback. None of us had seen the old Cary Grant movie, My Girl Friday. And ah, yeah. you know what? Learned that that was a slightly derogatory term for office assistants and secretaries. His like, you know, Girl Friday. My Girl Friday. Yeah. I, I didn't know. It took me like almost an argument with my mother-in-law to figure that one out. You know what? Not his best, I'll say. And so you should watch uh, Rear Window. It's a Hitchcock um, Ooh, okay. movie. And the reason I made it made me think of it. I don't I don't think the the female side character's name is Friday in that, but she's basically the same type of character, but it's more well done. Uh, besides that, I, I have uh, used a lot of my audio reading time to listen to our next interview guest. What have you been up to? What have you been listening to? What's, what's your spare time? Yeah. I mean, these days I don't have a ton of it, but uh, lately I, I got in the mail uh, a couple weeks ago, um, Jakarta method. Um, so I've been given that a, a, a thorough read, uh, not the best for my mental health, but it is extremely enlightening. What is um, it? It's, uh, I don't have the actual copy with me right now, but it's about basically the cold war that we don't know about. It's the, okay. all the little government changes, coups, assassinations, largely, uh, done by the United States and Sorry, West other Western powers. Yeah, it's it's more it's more focused on the CIA's actions. And it's actually really interesting as just a piece of CIA history as well. But it is an extremely fascinating slash horrifying read. I couldn't recommend it anymore. And other than that, I've been uh, back on my 30 Rock. Game. I watched a lot of 30 Rock. Hmm. Um, that's my you know, it's I, I, I think I was young, too young when it first came out. But on, on uh, revisiting it, uh, it's just a, it's a brilliant show. Uh, it really is just a comedic genius. Oh, I couldn't. My compliments to Tina Fey, Alec Baldwin, not the best person in the world, but a damn fine comedic actor. I have to give it to Tracy him. Morgan's pretty good in that one, too. And Tracy Morgan. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 that's what I'm talking about. It's it's fantastic. And then um, geez, Jack. What's his name? The guy who plays Kenneth. His name's escaping me, but also excellent. I mean. All, okay. all around, I applaud you. Okay, very good. We'll get him on one of the oh, one here soon. All right, Cyrus. Um, waiting to hear back about job interviews for me. Uh, you know what? The real prayer request is that Samantha and uh, baby are healthy. Yes, sir. And I will be be throwing one of those down. Till then, uh, we'll be waiting with bated breath for that news. And uh, look out for our podcast episode coming out next week. We have a very special interview with a leftist feminist podcaster from a world far apart from ours so we are super looking forward to sharing that with you guys and uh yeah see you next week love chase love you too man this has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.